I wonder if you've ever read a novel before and you've been so enraptured by it that you realize, you look over on your phone or on your nightstand and it's like 2.30 in the morning and you go, what just happened? Or maybe you, there's a particular movie or, or a Netflix series that, that you've been watching and, and, and you're so taken up in it that your you, bombs could be going off outside for all you know and you're just, you wouldn't know it because you're just so, I guess, you're there. You're, you're like in your head, you're pretty much, you're in the movie with that person. And then, and then maybe one of your brothers, sisters, your, one of your roommates or, or whatever, they, they walk in and they go, oh, what movie is this? Oh, what, what, who, Julia Roberts is in it. Oh, and it's not Julia Roberts. Okay, this is Anne Scott, and you should know her story right now. But they don't know, right? Because they're just sort of, they're just rocking up and trying to figure out, oh, it's Julia Roberts and, and whatever. Last week's text was like that in that we are sort of brought up to the heights of heaven to see the supremacy of Jesus, right? That he is sovereign over all creation, that he is sovereign over the new creation. We're sort of caught up in the novel, as it were, right? And, and then today, Paul kind of shifts the focus, and it's like we walked in during the climax of the movie, you know? And Paul says, let me let, me let, let you in on just a little secret. Let me, let me clear up the air here. Let me tell you about you. So in other words, Last week was all, you know, we're focused, we're, we're, we're brought up to the heights of heaven, seeing Jesus. And then Paul says, let me tell you about you. And he, he talks to these Colossians. And, and what he does is, is he, in, the, in verse 21, as, as I just read that for us, he says, and, and as for you, right, you catch that? You were alienated and you were hostile and but, but the good news is that that's the past, right? And then he brings you right up to the present and he says, but he's reconciled you and he'll present you holy and blameless, all those good things before him. If, if, here's the future, if you continue on in the faith. So what he does is he says, first of all, who we were, right? That's verse 21. And then verse 22 is who we are now. And then in verse 23, it's who we will be by God's grace. Or if you like maybe a little bit tidier of an outline, and all of these begin with P, okay? So it'll help you remember it. So verse 21, our first point, the problem. Verse 22, the provision and verse 23, the perseverance. The problem, the provision, and the perseverance. If that helps you get an outline before we unpack this text, that's where you can sort of hang your hat this morning. Sound good? All right. Now, why don't we just pray before we unpack this text together, and then we'll, uh, we'll go for it. Let's pray together. 
Father, we thank you once again for the scriptures. And we ask, Lord, for your blessing. Help us as we read this passage together that we might read and mark and learn and inwardly digest this truth. And we ask this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 21 is the problem, right? And that, that is, he reaches back to the past, to the days before they were Christians, right? And the way that he describes it is alienated. Now that sounds strange. Who uses that language anymore? You were alienated. You probably don't hear that much. Uh, maybe a better way to say is the word estranged. Um, we, we hear that word, or we might think of that word estranged. If I say uh, there's been an estrangement that has taken place between a man and his wife, it means that something has come between them, right? And sadly, we see this far too frequently in marriages today, do we not? Uh, there, there once was a time when and maybe we were there at their wedding day. So in love, right? They're just beaming with love for each other. But now there seems to be a barrier between them. They're estranged. And Paul says the same is true of all humanity and God. There is a barrier between man and God. Just think back to the very beginning the very first few chapters of the book of Genesis, when God created man and woman in his image, it's here we learn that they used to walk with God in the cool of the day. They used to wait for him and anticipate his arrival. But then sin entered the world. And what happens next? When they hear the Lord coming, what do they do? They hide. A fellowship has been broken. There's a barrier now. They're estranged, you see. They're alienated from God. There's, the, there's a, a fellowship and an intimacy that's, that's been severed, as it were. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. That is precisely how things are between your heart and the God who made you for himself. You were made to have fellowship with God. You were made to have close communion, relationship with God. But your sin has alienated you, estranged you from God. That's the problem, you see. And Paul reminds the Colossians of this. He says, do you guys remember? Do you guys remember how, how things were? You know, you, you were not only separated, alienated. There was this wedge between you and God, but you were actually hostile in mind. So it's not only just a spiritual thing, but even in your own internally, even in your own mind, there was this hostility. And in mind there, it doesn't actually mean the intellectual facilities, by the way. It's talking about a worldview, a disposition, a mindset. It's how you view the world. And I was thinking about it this week. I showed up here and there was this lady, Ingrid, who was leading a, a bunch of ladies. They were gathered up in a circle, sitting outside. 
and they're praying because they're involved with the SRE, which is a great ministry. SRE, scripture in schools and all that. And, and, right, and, and I was thinking, a non-Christian, if they were to show up, would probably, now they might be friendly and go, oh, hey, ladies, lovely, you know. But inside, they might think, what a waste of time. And with everything going on in our world, COVID, droughts, economic collapse, you're just speaking into the air. It's kind of like a glorified AA meeting. You're just sitting around, speaking, praying to some unseen God, not really doing much for the society, by the way. And you're just, there you are. It, it's almost like they're to be pitied. They might be friendly. Even your non-Christian co-workers and your non-Christian neighbors, they might be lovely people who are, who, are, who, are, who are nice, but outside of Christ, they are hostile in mind. The Bible says the man without the Spirit cannot accept the things of the Spirit because they're foolishness to him. Did you hear that? I mean, people that are driving by right now that aren't going to church that think, well, who knows what they think when they drive past this random red building. <laughs> it's like knackers or whatever. But like as they, as they drive past, they might think, what are the heck are people doing in there? And, and, and if they're in there, who, what are they? Man, that's like, that's, a, that's like an hour and a half. It's raining. I'd rather be having a coffee. I'd rather be, you know, watching Disney Plus, fill in the blank, whatever. That's what a waste, right? And it's, it's interesting, that, but that's hostile in mind, you see. And it may not be, and I may not even consciously be aware of it, by the way. Because if I said someone driving past right now, and by the way, they might be heading to church. They might be Christians. But if I were to flag them down right now and grab them and pull them in here. Now they'd never come in here, but if I were to pull them in and say, are you hostile in mind? They'd say, no, no. But then it's interesting though, because the way the Bible says that they are hostile in mind. C.S. Lewis really helps this. C.S. Lewis has these essays under this book called God in the Dock. And what he talks about is fascinating he says what people do then and when he was alive and today is they basically, they put God in the dock. They prosecute him by their standards of morality. Uh, you know, they would say, I find God to be unjust and immoral and I want nothing to do with such a God. Like, for instance, if God condones this lifestyle or God condemns this lifestyle, well, I think that's immoral. You see, what they're saying is, in effect, I'm God, right? And, and, and I decide. And when I stand in judgment over God, I find him wanting. I actually, if such a God exists, I don't want anything to do with him because I've already come with judgment upon him of what I've defined, what's right and what's wrong. Hostile in mind, you see. And that's how people are today. 
And that's how every single one of you are born into this world, just like myself. By nature, we are depraved. We are hostile in mind. Now, I realize that might sound negative, but that's not my intention. I'm not in here, you know, screaming and yelling, waving a King James Bible. Oh, the world's so bad. No, 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 listen. This is the way the Bible describes every single person who is outside of a relationship with Jesus. That we all, that we all are alienated from the life of God, estranged from the life of God. That we are rebels against God and that he will rightly judge us for it. And listen, there's nothing you can do to fix that. There's no good deed you can do to make yourself right spiritually. There's no special magic trick. There's no duty you could perform or enact to fix that. That's why it has to be done for you. You would remain in that trajectory to the end. But that's why God is the initiator, the agent who reconciles you, you see. Now comes the provision. So first the problem, but verse 22, if you're following along, now the provision. He says this in verse 22. Let's pick up again in 21. And you, who were, uh, sorry, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Did you see that? He's moved now from the past to the present and a bit to the future as well. There's nothing though, I think the thing that we can't miss there is there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right before God. But the good news is he has done it all for you in Jesus Christ in order that you might be reconciled to him. He has provided that. You cannot remedy your spiritual condition. But he has acted and provided the remedy in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has reconciled you. Having reminded them, right, of where they've come from. So did you see, Paul does one of his, um, this is one of his MOs. This is one of his gospel sort of trademarks. You once were this, not anymore. Now you're this. Did you see that between the two verses, how it shifted, the past, the present? You once were this, Ephesians 5, 8, for instance. You once were darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. That's beautiful. This is one of Paul's trademarks. You once were alienated. You once were estranged. And it showed, it showed not only by your thinking, but by your evil behavior. Did you see that? But now, but now we are reconciled to God through Christ. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Such were some of you, but not anymore. Now, how did that take place? Because we can't, remember what I said earlier, we can't do it ourselves. 
Well, God did it. Notice the, the language there. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. I don't know if you, you looked at that, but his physical earthly body, did you, did you see that? It's through Christ's human body, his actual blood shed on the cross that God is and can, is able and will reconcile his children. I don't know if that really stood out to you that this peculiar wording here, did you, did you see it? Body of, oh, there it is. He has now reconciled in his body. It's awkward in English because it's very awkward in Greek actually. In his body of flesh by his death. Why do you suppose he worded it that way? Some people think it actually has to do with, go back to verse 18. In the book of Colossians, chapter 1, if you go back to verse 18, he uses that word body, but he says Christ is the head of the what? Body, right? So some people think, well, what Paul's doing there is he's differentiating between body and body. Other people think, now you get to take a vote here, and I'm going to leave it optional because I'm an American and we're not, we don't have compulsory voting. Okay, so you guys have compulsory voting here, but you, know, you have your state's rights here for today, for this moment. No idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. So option two, so do you think it's option one or option two, when he says his physical body, he, Paul could be, I guess, it's an argument from silence either way, but what Paul could be doing is there is a, a heresy, a false teaching that's happening there in Colossae, and it goes like this. The body, the, the flesh, bad. Material world, bad. Jesus, only spirit, never took on flesh. Tracking with me? So it, it, it's, a, it's a false teaching that Jesus never actually had a physical body. So Paul knows that that false teaching is happening. And so that's why he emphasizes this whole idea of flesh by his death. You see that? Flesh, physical, earthly, etc. So is he differentiating or is he combating false teaching? It, the, the technical term is docetism or docetism. I'm going to Google that later. You can. That's basically what the, the Jesus didn't have a physical body. Which one do you think it is? I'll give you, I'll give you your, who votes? So show of hands. Who votes for option one? Yeah, okay. Good. That, don't be shy. That's all right, Rhonda. You have the best voice in this place. Everybody knows that. You and your daughter. Okay. Who votes? So who votes for option two? Okay. All right. Yeah, it's interesting. Can, can I ask? Because um, either way, either way, it's an argument from silence, right? We don't, like, like, we can't pull Paul up, like, we can't raise him from the dead and say, Paul, can you explain to us what you mean? By, like, are you referring back to verse 18? Or do you mean, or do you mean that you knew that there was this bad stinking teaching going on there in Colossae? And he says, well, it's this. Um, can I ask though, if you voted for option one or two, how come? I'm not, that's not rhetorical. I'm, I'm literally just interested. I'm not like 
Why? Because <laughs> actually, I could be convinced either way, to be honest. Um, yeah, Rhonda. Yeah, well, that's awesome. So what Rhonda said is it's his actual physical body. And so we, did, were you option one or two? I can't remember. Yeah, because we're like, for instance, option one, there's like, look, it's no matter where you fall off on this argument, it's not like, wrong, <laughs> I tricked you. Like uh, that's, both of those can be orthodox. Like the very first one, my attention was brought to this guy named Doug Moo, who's one of the main translators of the NIV. Good guy. I love Doug Moo. Like the cow, Moo. Okay? Good guy. The second option is by a Sydney Anglican, actually, named Peter O'Brien, who's like everything he writes is like gold in my mind. Not really. But like, he's amazing. One of your fellow Aussies. And he takes that second position. I guess I was just curious, though. Why, what, um, anyone else want to share? Yeah, Sally. I think it's the first one just because... Um, so, Peter, your, your fellow Aussie's wrong? Is that true? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm just... Just because it is a letter. And so if they were receiving this letter and going through it, you could just want to clarify um, what they're thinking. So that they didn't accidentally carry the analogy on and then get a wrong picture from that. Yeah, that's... That's exactly, that's my, I, I'm convinced of, it asked me on the day, but when Dan asked me a question in the first service, I said, that's, it. in other words, he just said verse 18, now it's verse 22. So like, you would think that he goes, like we differentiate with words today too, don't we? Um, think of the word, uh, I think I said this last week, sorry. Think of the word gate, gate. G-A-T-E. Now, Rhonda and David, sorry to pick on you guys, but Watergate, immediately you think Nixon, right? I can't say, but like, but I have to differentiate. I can say, oh, there was a, when your baby was coming into the splash park, there was a gate and to the water and Watergate. And they go, oh, Watergate. So you have to differentiate between words. And I, I think that's probably pretty convincing. That's what Doug Moo argues, at least. I think, like you said, it's a flow of a letter. It's hard to say, too, because while it's true that Paul doesn't actually say, I'm speaking about docetism, docetism, and it echoes or whatever, we don't, we, we don't, it could be true, but he doesn't specify it, too. Like in the book of Galatians, he says, these Judaizers, have you read the book of Galatians? You guys know what I'm talking about, the book of Galatians? He goes, I wish, I wish that these people would be emasculated, like, whoa, Chill out, Paul. No, but like he's, he's, he's naming X, Y, Z of specific heresy. Does that make sense? Where here, he actually doesn't name it. So that's probably a good argument. Does anyone want to push back on Sally? Otherwise, she wins. Yeah, Ezra? You think Sally's wrong, don't you? 
Yes. Yeah, an actual real person. Took has human, the word became flesh. And I can't, I want to sing Colin Buchanan. Oh, you better believe it. Right? Sorry. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that's why you're, you're leaning towards the second one, our Sydney Anglican friend, Peter O'Brien, because he says, no, it's, he's, con you, they, he's clarifying saying Jesus really did have a physical body. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, Doug Moo, the first option, well, S Sally's not saying Jesus didn't have a physical body. You're, like, you're not saying that. You're saying it's probably more convincing that it's the first. Yeah, fair enough. Well, here's the deal. Regardless of where you land on that, you can't miss, though, verse 22. Do you notice there? There's a, do you see the reason? you see the purpose? In order to do what? Present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Do you see that there? The purpose of God's reconciling work is that his people would be presented before him as holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. Do you, do you realize, let's reverse that. That's super encouraging, but let's reverse it. You know what I mean by that? Let's reverse the car here. If you're not reconciled, Guess what you are? Unholy, blameworthy, and not above approach. <laughs> that's, that's the reality, right? Let's just, let's just flip that upside down, invert that. In other words, on the final day of judgment, which everyone will stand before God, the Bible says, and on that day of judgment, if you are not reconciled to Jesus, I can't stress this enough, you won't be wholly blameless and above reproach. You will be, guess what? It's like this too. Now presenting, fill in your name. Ta-da. God says, guilty. <laughs> if you're not reconciled, you see. If you're not reconciled to his son. Now, I want us to look at the son's work though. So, very similar to the book of Colossians is actually the book of Ephesians. Go to the left in your Bible. Look at this real quick with me. Look at Ephesians 5. Notice, notice the work of Jesus here. It says in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 25. See, now look up here. In order to present you, um, Nigel, can you go? Oh, who's running it? Nigel, yeah. Nigel, yeah, keep that there. To present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now notice verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, there we go. There's that body of flesh. Now notice, ready? That he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Does that sound familiar? You see the work there? When you are reconciled to Jesus, that that's, that's it. Now, this is all wonderful and really should give us hope. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. That may not apply to you. <laughs> there is an if clause in the next verse. In other words, all that's wonderful stuff if you persevere in the faith. So we've looked at the problem, the provision, and now the perseverance. Go back to Colossians. Notice here. It's kind of like when your parents say, you may have dessert if you finish your dinner, right? My kids hear that. You may get Tim Tams if you finish your dinner. Ellie. That's my youngest daughter. Here we go. Ready? Verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, yes, God has reconciled you, but you'll only be presented as holy and blameless if you persevere. He doesn't say, you've all made a decision and you're all in. No, he says you need to persevere to the end. If, if, if this is true, if you endure in the faith, you'll, be re you'll receive a favorable verdict from God on the day of judgment. So what does that look like then? The language there is interesting, right? It's like, kind of like this building metaphor. You see that? You're not swayed. You're sort of you're stable. You're rooted, as it were. You're, you're built. Notice the, the words there. I think, yeah, here we go. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting, not shifting. You see this building metaphor? Not shifting from the hope of what? The gospel. The good news. We build our lives upon this message called gospel. You don't move away or move past the gospel. You, you preach it to yourself daily. In other words, the way that you can be confident that all those things are true, that, you know, uh, blameless, without, you know, holy, you know, all, all those things is that you persevere and your persevering is actually not moving beyond the gospel, but moving deeper into this message called the gospel. John Stott, I, I, I love some of the stuff John Stott says. And he says, listen to this. The cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled. But we have to get near enough for this, its sparks to fall on us. Did you hear that? He says, the cross 
is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled, but we have to get near enough for its sparks to fall on us. In other words, the gospel is not just the little box that you tick to get yourself to heaven. The gospel is not this good news about Jesus is not just ABC, basic Christianity. The gospel is A to Z. We actually don't grow beyond the gospel. We are to grow into the gospel and build our lives on that, anchor ourselves in this. And that's exactly what Paul's after, right? He says, Paul says, when he encourages us not to shift, you see that? Not to shift from the hope of the gospel. You see what he's saying? Don't move past the gospel. Park here. Park here in the shadow of the cross and never move. Stay here. Stick here. And as you do, the Lord will make you more like his son. Because Jesus is who your heart needs. You know, it's interesting with Colossians, if you haven't seen this already, we've called the title is the all-sufficient Christ. You, it's, it, while he doesn't list the actual heresies like we were talking about, one thing he does do is say, here is how all-sufficient and all-complete Jesus is. Like he doesn't say, here's all the bad things, but he says, here's all you need to know. Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He is, Jesus Christ is the centerpiece. And that's all you need. You want to grow in your faith? You, you want to mature in your faith? You don't need special dreams or to go to a conference and get bumped in the head and fall over. You, you don't need to hear from God all the time. And you need to anchor your life and your trust in Jesus's person and work, period. That's Paul's point, that Christ is all sufficient. He is all you need. I pray that God would help us to realize that. That each of us may rest in that. That we may, as it were, park our lives in the shadow of the cross. May God help us to do so. Any questions as we... Wrap things up. Concerns, rebuttals, rebukes. Be interesting because I say that every week. Questions, rebuttals. I rebuke you. Watch how I respond to that. That'll be interesting. Uh, it's kind of happened here before, but it's another story. Anyone? Any, any things I copy to clarify points? What did, you know what's encouraging about this text? Say you're in a lift. Maybe you're here too and you're exploring Christianity as well. But say you're, you say you're in a lift and you've got like a quick five-second nutshell. This text is great. We're alienated from God. Past. But you can be reconciled through Jesus' death on the cross. And there's good news that in the end you'll be dot, 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 dot. But you've got to persevere. Like that, if you're in a lift and you've got like five seconds, bang, bang, bang. This verse is beautiful, right? How it just folds out nicely that way. 
but the problem, the provision, and the perseverance. It's like a nice little succinct gospel little message. Um, yeah. Yeah, Christina. Um, I'm going to repeat it. Yes. So the question is, what tips would you recommend continuing persevering in our faith? I would say, I mean, there's obviously, there's stacks. One thing that um, we missed you a few weeks, the last few weeks, that's not to make you feel bad. Where were you? Actually, you were out in orange or wherever you were. But one of the things that I think, one of the things that I think Christians have really messed up today in the 21st century, myself included, particularly in the Western world, um, is that we're too autonomous. It's me, God, and the Bible. That's all I need. Where you look, Paul's writing to a group of people. Sure, there's individuals that make up the group, but it's a group of people. And I think too often... Christians think that church is just an optional thing. Like, um, church is like, yeah, if I like the music and if the coffee's good and someone said hi to me, and I don't know, I might consider going back there. But that really, really messes things up big time because that's just, we're meant to do life together in a community. Our, our Christian pilgrimage was never meant to be alone. We're meant to, to has iron sharpens iron, right? So one person sharpens another. We're, we're meant to, to do life together. And I think that there's a real kryptonite, I said this last week, but there's a real kryptonite within evangelicalism today that thinks that I can just sort of, I don't really need church. You know, I, I, I'm just, I don't, I don't need that. I'm, I'm just going to pray or I'm going to do evangelism on, on Sunday mornings or, but I don't, I don't need that community. And I, I've been guilty of that as well. And, and the more I read the Bible, the more I see that God saved a people. Yes, individuals, but a people. And so tips in terms of persevering. Well, look, if you're, if you're not in a community of like-minded, gospel-centered people, we all have such poor self-perceptions, myself included. Um, we can think we're doing pretty darn awesome when we're not, you know? It's like the, the friend of yours that, you know, has morning tea and they've got part of it on their cheek and they'd walk around the whole day without it, but you, you know, it's like, hey man, you got <laughs> morning tea on your cheek. Cream cheese or, you know, is he cream cheese here? You know, whatever, you know. Um, you've got something on your cheek, you need to, but, but that's what the church does holds a mirror up to you and says, you know, Christina, to, sorry to pick on you, but I just want to remind you of who you aspire to be. And the Bible says this, this, and this, and, and as Christians, we're to live this way. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things in terms of spiritual disciplines, like Don Whitney has a helpful book, Don Whitney, Spiritual Disciplines. Uh, I think I forget what it's called. Um, that's your, your basic aid, read the Bible, pray, meditate on scripture, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think we, we run off with our, I don't know. I, see, I, I, 
I lived in Hawaii for 10 years. Can I share a little anecdote? I guess you guys are sitting on the chairs anyway. I, I, I lived in Hawaii for 10 years, and it was very communal. As I had to pick on you, probably similar to this in the Philippines, I'm assuming. It was, it was more communal where Australia and America are very individualistic. Now, there's pros and cons to both of that. There's not like this exalted, perfect culture. But like in Hawaii, um, you do life with your ohana, your family, right? And, and I now being back in a Western culture, which I'm a Westerner, but you know what I mean? Like it's interesting to watch. I guess I'm always floored by... It's not just Australia, it's Canada, it's the UK, it's America, but I guess I'm always floored at how, if I can say it, just how prideful people are about, yeah, I don't really need church. I'm good with God. I can just, but it's like, not to mention the fact, by the way, not to mention the fact, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, not to neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And then it talks about same book, elders. I'm an elder. Andrew's an elder. Rob Wright's an elder. Dan's an elder. We have four elders here. And this is the elders will give an account for your soul. Well, if you're not in a church, who's giving an account for your soul? Well, I am. Is that how, how, <laughs> how convenient. You've become your own elder now. You see what I'm saying? And so the local church, I think, has been pushed aside in its value. And it's really to the detriment, I think, of many in Western evangelicalism. That was a long rant, but I think just to encourage you with that. And I'm so stoked. You know, you came here not knowing a soul, what, three, four months ago? And it's been marvelous to have you. So especially now that we can actually meet together. So anyway. A lot of rants there, but any, any other questions from the text or ready to go home, school? All right. Yeah, David. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. And that's what I was trying to, that's what I was trying to point out is he doesn't say, great, you've all made a decision. Oh, sorry. The question was, thank you, Andrew. <clears throat> the question was, it's interesting when you look at verse 23, how he talks about perseverance, which in today's modern church, if you want to call it that, <clears throat> excuse me, in today's modern church, it's, it's, um, Salvation hinges on not so much perseverance as it's get up here, get up here, pray the prayer, dunk them, you're in. And that's not really what Paul's saying. <clears throat> Excuse me, I need, I need some water. But um, Paul's saying if you persevere, if you persevere, then you can have those promises of that last day, right? <clears throat> Blameless before him, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole, in, in the, we'll make this short, 20 seconds. In the 1980s, 
a whole system developed called easy believism, where it basically taught the opposite of what Paul's saying here. You the man. I knew you were doing that. Are you? Thanks, buddy. Um, don't worry, that was COVID safe. <clears throat> um, he, easy believism taught, just pray a prayer. You can live like the devil, basically. It's all good. Because in the end, remember when you were eight years old and you prayed that prayer? Forget the fact that you never darkened the door of a church again, that you, you know, lying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Could care less about God. Didn't even really sure if you believed in him, but you got the stamp. Can you see it? There it is on your back. You prayed a prayer. And that's not really what Paul's saying at all, is he? Um, what, what, I'm not be a little cheeky here. Where in the Bible does Jesus have people pray a sinner's prayer? Anyone? It's not there. He says, come and follow me, right? And that means perseverance. He doesn't say, pray a prayer. And even in the Great Commission, you go, oh, hold on, the Great Commission. Yeah, but he says to make converts? No, to make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Well, that's trying to, I'm trying to do that today. If you want to hear a really good sermon on this text, check out the one that Nicole emailed out <laughs> by Martin Lloyd-Jones. That's not me being false, humble. She's like, Martin Lloyd-Jones was the man. I'd encourage you to listen to it. It's on the email. Um, and maybe Andrew could make burn a couple copies on these things called CDs if you still use this. Um, but great question, David. Dundas's two weeks in a row. Bang, bang. How was your last? Your last question was good about desiring God last week. Thought that was really good. Um, hopefully you're seeing too. You can ask me. We'll, we'll wrap up now. I keep saying that. My last point is, I said that 20 minutes ago. Did you hate that when preachers say that? And now, in closing, and my last point, dude, land the thing. <clears throat> Drives me nuts. And then they'll say, I got carried away by the Holy Spirit. No, you're, no, you weren't. Anyway, there's my rant for the day. Um, but I hope, I hope that with the questions though, like if, if I don't answer them properly, like you can, you can come yell at me afterwards if you want or, or whatever. Um, well, please don't yell, but, um, I've been yelled at before, but, but you can, um, we can talk more, David. I think it's a great question. Um, great book by John MacArthur. Um, Ashamed of the Gospel, it's called. Really good book, really helpful book where he, he tackles that thing head on, this easy believism stuff. Because do you see how, um, do you see how dangerous it is for someone to think that they're a Christian when they're not? Could you be more like, is there something to be, you know, a scarier thing to be like wrong about? <laughs> think of the day of judgment, right? They're not reconciled to Christ, but they think they are because, you know, like you said, they... They came up to the front once and all the things that are good about us that are reconciled are actually bad because they, they're reversed. Scary. Super scary. So, cool. Are we good, guys? Yeah? 
I know you have questions. You're just being too humble to ask them. That's all right. Okay, not today. <laughs> Maybe when we meet up this next week. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, if you are reconciled to Christ, then this is a time where um, the ushers can come forward. There you go, Christina. Here, Christina, ready? Here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is a time of communion where we remember Jesus' body that was nailed to the cross, his